Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 77th episode of the Truth Island podcast. When we last off, Kenny and I were discussing why the attention spans of Americans has dropped considerably over the past few decades. Yet, in the wake of our conversation, an unsettling topic has emerged. Why is it that some of us have been able to resist social conditioning and have remained intellectually active and curious, while others are unable to break free from the tyranny of the masses? Does the country you are born in, the family you were raised in, or schools that you have attended play a role? Or is there perhaps something inheritably biological in determining whether or not an individual can escape the ironclad grasp of Candy Crush or watching five hours of ESPN Zone on a given Sunday? Kenny, welcome back, my friend. So in response to our previous conversation, do you think cow-like people are made or are they born? Well, thank you for having me back here. And I think that, I think that cow-like people are made, not born. I do okay. believe that there are people who optimism, are born. Optimism, optimism, right? <laughs> <Like> <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that there are people who are born, you know, who have, you know, mental um, disadvantages and that they're not, you know, they're not mentally up to snuff. Um, and there are others who have, how you say, simply, at least as far as we know, as far as we judge things, lower IQs, right? And so we say, okay, well, they don't really stand a chance against, you know, these, you know, massive subliminal or direct attacks against the mind or whatever it may be. But I do think that in a general sense, people are made to be pacified rather than born that way. Absolutely. And, you know, we could actually talk about IQ on another podcast. I'm wondering, um, do you think there's perhaps maybe a minimal, like a minimum IQ that one must have in order to resist social conditioning? So if if like 100 is like your average person, could your 100 IQ average person resist this level of social conditioning? Or do you have to be even above average to kind of resist it? No, I, I, so I'm not a not an expert in IQ science, but I would I would say that sim- simply by observing the world as I know it, I would say that the average person has the has the ability to recognize and to simply step away um, from these conditionings and all these um, strange things going on. Okay, that, that and that's like highly optimistic because what that means is that like the average the average person is able to stop playing Candy Crush or can pick up a book and kind of, and I I think that's, and that, and that, that's really optimistic that, that they do have the potential to do that. So let's think about just regular average people at this point. What else is it, if it's not their intelligence, what else is it that's kind of not, you know, leading them to be able to resist this kind of stuff? Is it just like a lack of willpower? Is it, being born in the States? Like what other factors are there that are preventing people from resisting this? Well, I think you said it well in the beginning. I think it was a question that you posed whether family helps, country helps, you know, situations and stuff like that. I think it does help. And for the most part, I think that people are incredibly lazy and don't care. Hmm. Um, the average person doesn't really care that. Uh, see, as long as there's there's food in the belly, as long as there's, you know, Netflix you know, beaming the eyes, as long as there is, you know, they're fat and happy, what's to complain about? What's, I mean, what's the matter? So people, a lot of people just simply don't care because there's, they don't, 
they don't see a reason to care. I like what you're saying. And this is something that um, has been going through my head and it pertains specifically to America. I think, and, and I hypothesize when we think about America's uh, hegemony or its power in the world declining and countries like China, for example, people are very worried that China is going to overtake the U.S. as the global superpower. Yeah. And I, I, and people say, well, what exactly is the reason for this? Is, is communism better? Is this better? Are they have better leaders? And I actually think that when you have been number one for so long, just as you said, you become lazy and complacent. I think Americans have been well-fed for far too long and that you start losing it. You start losing your edge. You start losing the desire to discipline yourself. You start losing the desire to better yourself in every every which way. If you think of the... Um, uh, of the third Batman movie, the one where he fights Bane, right? What's mm. that famous line that Bane tells Batman? It's like, oh, victory has defeated you. You know, like basically <laughs> like, like, you know, if you have been victorious for so long, which I think the United States has been in, in terms of being so wealthy and so powerful and so influential, our citizens are now too complacent and too lazy to actually have a desire to put down the Candy Crush or to put, or to stop watching ESPN Zone because life is just too comfy for them to act otherwise. Yeah, and it's not just that life is too comfy, it's like this is life, this is living, this is what it is to be alive. I mean, every a lot of people feel very differently because I mean, if you look at the statistics, a lot of uh, you say America is a very depressed nation. Yes. People are incredibly unhappy, yet they feel this, you know, really um, strange, um, or should I say, they, they keep telling themselves this, story that is counter reality that the very everyday normal things that they are doing is in fact what life is about but it's but it's very it's very contrary to their nature it's very contrary to that inward thing that um that we all have that calls out for more for purpose or for whatever you want to call it so yeah for many for many americans and for many people around the world this is life maybe you know i'm trying to think for example, um, you know, I was getting into a conversation with with, uh, with a professor yesterday about education and, and how Americans don't really value education. And mm. we have many angles we could look at this. Are Americans just naturally not curious people? Or maybe they don't value education as much because their basic survival does not depend on it. And, you know, I remember I spoke to a woman that was from Romania and she told me in Romania, you know, even though it was a communist, really poor country, people valued education quite a great deal there. And it wasn't just because people were, you know, natural philosophers. It's because if you didn't value education, you were sent to the military or sent to work in a factory. Like th those were the only, like the, the, your out, your life outcomes were so bleak that you had no choice but to be a bit more intellectual not because you wanted to be, but because the circumstances dictated as such. Yeah. Whereas in America, maybe maybe being a failure, you know, I'm not going to use the word failure, but maybe working like an intellectually less rigorous job doesn't have like the same consequences as it would in a in a in a communist nation, for example. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's it doesn't at least to that extent, no. But there are still consequences. There's yeah. always consequences. And here's, it's just that our consequences are still, there are still enough benefits to where the consequences are not felt heavily. But 
I mean, I would say that Americans do, to some extent, actually value education. And, and I say this like this, not because I think you are right, but I'm going to put a little spin on it. Americans love good grades. Mm. It's not the same thing. They love good grades. The average American loves to get an A, loves to get, you know, A plus and, you know, A minus, whatever it may be. And, um, but that's not an education. You send kids to college, they go, you find that they graduated with honors, but at the end of the day, they have no idea what an education means. And so grades are really valuable in this country. So you tell you know, the average high school kid really, I mean, I, I know I knew kids who would cry when they got anything less than an A, <laughs> or who would you know, harass the teacher basically because he or she didn't give them the grade they think they deserved. It's like, it's not, for them, it's not really about education. It's about good grades. And you can teach a monkey to do that. You can teach, you can teach an animal to do that. It's simply a matter of push the button, get the reward. The grades are the button and we have the rewards. Ah, okay. I, I think I see where you're going with this. So basically in the States, grades are a very transactional piece, right? Yeah. And it's like, if you have enough cloud or influence or you whine and kick and complain, you can eventually get the grade that you want without actually putting in the intellectual rigor into getting that grade, right? Like you don't have Absolutely. to write, you don't have to write the best, most profound piece of paper on Tolstoy to get that A. You no. just have to keep bothering the professor, keep bothering the teacher, just keep whining and kicking and get your parents involved or whatever. And yeah. I think you're right. And I think maybe in communist nations, that was never really an option. Like you're, you're probably in Romania or in, in Russia, you, you, you get parents involved. <laughs> you know, like they probably, probably just like laugh you out of the classroom and be like, get out of here, you know, into the factory with you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's the same thing with, you know, when we we're talking about last week is that people center family life around the children. Yeah. What do the children want to do? What do the children want to eat? What do the children want to go? Are the children happy? Are the children unhappy? And if the children are happy, oh boy, then we are allowed to be happy. If the children aren't happy, why should we be happy? It's the same thing. It's when you when you base when when the standard, the institution, whether it's a family institution or the educational institution, when the standard is based or the 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 social the social standard at least or some standard is based on the lesser, you are building your your institution for failure. Because what happens is colleges and universities are very students oriented, mm -hmm. very students based. So what are the students like? What are the students not like? Are the students happy? Are the students not happy? If the students are unhappy, we should, should we be happy? And the professors who are actually trained experts in what they do have very little say. It's, I mean, you have cases where professors are literally kicked out of campus by students for saying the wrong thing mm. you know I mean? this is ridiculous so when when the students is the number one focus when the students is in fact the god of the situation then you're going to play the game by the rules of the students and students don't make very sophisticated games they make games that they will win so I think it's, I think that we, the foundation of the whole situation is totally wrong. So back home in Nigeria, there is no way in hell a student gets to set the law. 
And I mean this because first of all, students understand that teachers are to be respected. Students understand that this is very much enforced. If you do not understand this, you will be made to understand this. You know what I mean? And so the education system is set by the teachers, the higher minds and the lesser minds, the lower minds have to strive to meet the, you know, to meet the standard. But it's quite the opposite here in that, yeah, we pretend that, it's, that the professors are in charge. That's what we pretend to, we pretend they're in charge, but they're not. Because if, the, if the professor sets a standard and two or three students say, oh, no, 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 this is kind of weird. This is too hard. All they have to do is, <laughs> all they have to do is file a complaint and good luck, professor. You know what I mean? So, you know, just throwing some interesting buzzwords here and there, some very cool, you know, modern happening situation, I mean, issues, and the, the, the professor is gone. So I think, uh, I think the whole foundation is very strange and very, very, very problematic. And this is the same thing happening in our, so with back to the, you know, our people, you know, our people cowish, our people, uh, and if they are, why so? Well, it's because often the the population, the general population, the cow people are actually the ones setting the standards. We've talked about this before, that, you know, we watched a movie, you watch a movie, and you say, Hollywood, you know, one, one up and coming bright Hollywood director makes a very complex movie. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets it. What do we do? We write 400, 400 complaints and sign a petition for him to get kicked off, you know, <laughs> kicked out of Hollywood so that he stops making movies that we don't understand because they make us feel stupid. Instead of us, <laughs> instead of us saying, oh, my goodness, I have no idea what this is all about. Now, if it's a real, if it's a real and rigorous intellectual, you know, um, complexity, I would like to meet the standard. I would like to rise to the occasion. I don't want to just, you know, cut it off, you know, nip it in the bud, sit down there writing my little angry note while playing Candy Crush, you know? Yeah, yes. And now, now, like, this is, this is a thought I had yesterday, but I think based on what you just said, you've just confirmed this thought. So I think it's one of these situations where I, you know, I, I, I believe in the capitalist system and all that, you know, obviously, you know, you know, competition amongst businesses and so forth. Absolutely. What I, but what I think, is an area that capitalism should not really touch is maybe education. And here's why, Kenny. I think, I, I think that a lot of these university professors, right, or, or even, you know, I was a teacher for 10 years. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of us are under this pressure of like, oh, no, if we don't make it easy for the kids, if the parents don't like it because we're not giving the kids easy grades and we're suspending kids and, and having too many standards, they're going to pull out and go somewhere else. And there's this like fear. There's a fear of the institution that like, oh, wait a minute kids don't like going to a school where they have to actually learn something and work hard. Let's make things softer and cushionier and fun and, and, you know, build more swimming pools around campus and make them enjoy it. So, <laughs> so I, I think this is like an example of where, you know, again, like I said, I, I love, you know, I don't have a problem with capitalism. I think inherently, you know, it has flaws, but it, it's not completely broken. But I think this is, an issue where I don't think capitalism should touch education. I think that that system needs to have an integrity in itself because if administrators and these professors are under these pressures of like, oh no, if we don't make it fun and easy enough, people are going to transfer out of this school and go somewhere else, then that kind of compromises the integrity 
of that entire system. And like you just said, it then allows the cows to be in charge. And the cows should be in charge about like, you know, maybe where they go for dinner or maybe, you know, uh, do they want to have this, do they want T-Mobile or Sprint? Like, I think that's an example where consumer choice matters. And that's where the cow should be allowed to moo as loud as they want and get their way. But when it comes to education, you're right. They, they don't have the ability to dictate what's in their best interest. No. I mean, that's the thing is that they, they don't. And the hard part about it is that at the end of the day, what happens is they dip into everybody else's situation. It's like this whole situation. My friends recently taught me about this, you know, this whole phenomenon of, uh, oh, the, they turned the, the name Karen into a very difficult, you know, manager seeing, um, you know, I may I see the manager. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. And the the reality of the matter is that, you know, they, there are a lot of, there is a there 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 are many situations where the masses step in the quote unquote masses step in and make things incredibly difficult for everybody else. So no, I I think that's I don't think education should ever relate to should ever pander to its students. I think the students need to rise to the occasion. I don't think that's and you find this in many other situations. But there's the thing is that it's. It stops being about the thing. The very, I, I'm personally slightly, to, to some extent, very against institutions, and and I don't mean that in a sense of, um, I'm not never going to you know raise my voice against an institution, but I know the dangers that institutions and I and they're a necessary evil, but I but I know that the evil is often how you say incredibly damaging. Mm-hmm. So for example, you have. Today is a situation where even in religious circles, you have um, everybody's trying to make things cool for the kids. Oh, how do we make uh, how do we make Buddhism cool? How do we make Taoism cool? How do we make Christianity cool? How do we make Islam cool so that we have more kids coming in and so forth? Like, no, no, no. What is it about? What is it about? The same thing with education and schools. Are we trying to are we trying to make buddies out of these kids? Or are we trying to teach them what is actual about the world, teach them the real thing, the crux, the real foundation of whatever institution they're coming to? Or are we just trying to get in numbers so that we can get in money, so that we can get in status, so that we can get in you know, more money? And it's our priorities are incredibly messed up because this is the dark side of humanity. The dark side of humanity is that when push comes to shove, I don't care if it's about global warming. I don't care if it's about Black Lives Matters, the movement. I don't care if it's about the next political, whatever it may be. When push comes to shove, humans are all about money. That's all it is, all that it is. You follow any noble cause, any noble cause for more than five minutes, and you will find out that somewhere at the tip, somewhere at the tip of that iceberg, that pyramid, is somebody sitting in a very comfy chair counting hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think that we deceive ourselves thinking that, thinking that institutions and, and um, most of these things are, are actually at face value what they say they are, um, but they're not because it's often about money. Yes, yeah, and I, I think that these schools are also a- about money to some degree. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they, because every student that's lining their halls is, is walking tuition. That's, that's like those, those kids are, are, are basically walking tuition dollars. And 
here's here's what I think the the mistake of society is. Okay, if we make education more fun, more interesting, more engaging, hip and cool, in the short term, these schools will win and get more students, right? Like in the short term, they will win and so forth. And maybe, you know, maybe even, I don't know how it works in the world of organized religion, but maybe maybe in the short term, they get more members to their congregation, right? The priest comes in with a guitar and, and play. Shredding <laughs> it up. Like, yeah, he's like, like shredding it up, right? Um, <laughs> like, like in the short term, these things work, you get more butts in seats, right? However, in the long term, people are going to be like, oh, well, I had fun for four years, but I don't really know anything. Or I, you know, I've been attending this church or whatever for the past five years, and I don't feel spiritually uplifted anyway. I don't feel closer to Jesus. I don't have, I don't have a more stoic mindset and so forth. So I think that these things will work in the short run, but eventually it's going to, it's going to, the truth is going to come out, right? Like, again, like we discussed last time, we're all afraid of the truth. We're all running from it, but it always comes out. Like it always, it always, it's really, it's really like sweeping everything under the rug. Well, eventually the rug is going to rise above the ground and all the crap that you've been hiding (laughs) under there is going to reveal itself. And I, I, I think the same thing is happening with education, man. My good man, I, I can agree. I mean, I, I would say that it's already rising and the crap is already hitting the fan. Because <laughs> I'm serious, bro. There's shit on everybody's face. And here's the thing. America is an incredibly depressed nation. It is, in fact, how you say, a very wealthy nation. Some would argue, I think, even the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And yet the most unhappy place on the face of the earth. Why are we so unhappy? Why are we so unhappy? Because we put our trust and our faith in institutions that fail us, in -hmm. politics that fail us, in schools that fail us, churches that fail us. We put our faith in everything and Candy Crush that fails us. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) It's telling you. And we don't sit down, sit back and think for ourselves. We don't sit back and say, you know what? No more putting my faith in this in this cow pie, I'm going to think for myself. I'm going to figure out what my life is about. I'm going to figure out what's worth living for. I'm not going to listen to Kim Kardashian tell me that it's about butt implants or whatever <laughs> it is that she says. I'm going to I'm going to sit down here with this pen and paper, and I'm going to figure out what my life is about. What I'm doing with this, you know? Okay. Now l- let's think about this on the on the individual level right now. Yes, sir. Okay. Our Institutions have failed us a hundred and you know, a hundred percent, one hundred percent have failed us, right? You're damn straight. Yeah, and <laughs> now, me, you and I are able mm. to be like, okay, institutions have failed us. Let's get a pen and paper and write down what we want out of life and, and figure this yeah. stuff out. Now, how do we awaken the great masses? to also do that. And, and like, I, I, I'm happy, look, listen, man, I'm happy to take care of myself and, and whatever, like, I, I'll be fine. You're going to be fine. Like, I'm not worried about you and me. Like we, we've already figured this thing out. I am, I am concerned about the greater, the greater world because, you know, Kenny, you are a father and, and maybe one day if I ever decide to have kids, I'll be a father and they kind of have to go out into this giant hump of a mess called a world right and yeah. like they, they they have to go out there and seek employment um perhaps seek schooling out that you know they have to they have to interact with this very very dysfunctional world and 
as a potential father and as you, as someone who is a father, I feel like, man, I, I, I don't want to just have kids and live in an isolated log cabin in the middle of the woods and then just be like, no, no, son, we don't go out there, you know, into the, into the, into the heap trouble that is the world. So yeah. I'm wondering how, how it is that we can start awakening people to be honest with themselves and, 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 and demand more of their institutions. And, and I mean, look, this is a very tough thing because people would actually have to say to themselves, hey, I'm highly uneducated or hey, like my kid can't read. Like a lot of parents won't even, can't even come to the realization that their child cannot read. And their answer to the the problem of their kid not reading is, can you just pass my kid? Can you just pass them? Can you just give them a diploma? That's their answer. They actually are incapable of coming to the realization that their kid cannot read. Yeah, we like symbols without substance. Yes. Like the degree. If once you you have the degree, obviously you must be educated. It's just a bloody degree. It's a piece of paper, really. It's a symbol without substance. The money is a symbol of wealth. It's a symbol of, you know, comfort. It's a symbol of hard work. It doesn't necessarily always mean those things. A person could have a crack ton of money and have no wealth whatsoever in that they have no idea what to do with the money. The money might as well be gone because they're going to spend it on crack that they don't need or want. Or, um, I think that for here, here's the thing, I, I, and, and I like what you're saying in that I don't think it's I don't think it's reasonable or wise to, you know, for example, raising kids, tell them, okay, you know what, we're living in a bit bad woods, guys, and from now on, everybody stays indoors, nobody leaves the house, we're all gonna die here. You know, it's like. <laughs> So I mean that's um, that's potentially my game's plan. Like I was talking <laughs> I bought me a shotgun and two can of beans, two cans of beans. <laughs> That'll last me six years. Right. <laughs> you know. So so what do we do? What do we do and how so for <clears throat> for me it's about when I was about twenty, twenty-one years old, something clicked. And I like to say clicked because I can't explain the phenomena to myself or to anybody else. I should I say this without being long-winded and putting the person to sleep, but something clicked when I was 21 years old and all I wanted to do was read. I wanted to learn something clicked. I knew that I needed to read. I knew I needed to learn. I knew my, I knew my mind needed wisdom and, and it needed understanding. And one of the first books I ever read Actually, the first book I believe that I ever read was when, once that click happened was the book of Romans in the Bible. And it was a very, how you say, and as I was reading it, I realized that my mind has been thinking along these lines for a while, but I just couldn't articulate it. One of the, one of, one of the reasons I love certain writers is because they help you articulate things you were already feeling. You just didn't understand what they were. You, couldn't, you didn't have words for them, you know? So the book of Romans written by St. Paul did that for me. And um, it just one day, a click, a switch. And uh, I've been reading since then, and I've been thinking very differently since then. I'd like to think I was gifted with wisdom. But I think that everybody has this, has this opportunity, if not everybody, a great deal of people. And I do believe that upbringing is an, is an incredible part of it. Because there are parents who raise their children to be phenomenal. People say, well, you can't, you can't really have, you know, you can't, you, you can't really have your kid. We're all figuring this thing out, right? People, we love to say that. We're all figuring it out. 
Well, listen, I'm 27 years old. I've, I can say confidently that I have figured out parenting, confidently. Some of them might say that I'm arrogant, sure, but I figured it out. It doesn't matter what you think. I know what it is. You know what I mean? So people say, they like to say things like, oh, we're all figuring it out so that we all feel, make each other feel good for being lazy and stupid. And that's not to say that everybody is lazy and stupid, but we like to say these things. And so I think that there is, how you say, there's a way that parents can raise a child to be wise and strong. I don't think parents need to raise their children to be religious. I don't think they need to raise their parents their children to be anti-religious. I just think you need two things in a child strength and wisdom that's all you need to raise your kids to know so that as they, these two things will find will, will how you say will attract every other good thing will attract every other good thing and so i think that a lot of a lot of it has to do with parenting um but for those of us who didn't have great parents growing up my father was very absent in my life he and i are wonderful friends now wonderful friends but we're growing up we weren't we didn't have a great relationship my stepmothers were all over the place my mother died when i was a young lad so for for those of us who didn't have great parents or who had no parenting at all whatsoever something else needs to happen we all need to wake up and i'm not talking about the modern you know pop culture woke that's often very silly but i do mean an internal human waking up opening your eyes because it's important. Many of us, it's tragedy that does this. We lose a friend, we lose our parents, we lose something happens, we lose our legs, our eyes, our, our, ear, our, our, our hearing capabilities, something, tragedy wakes us up because tragedy says everything you thought you were, you were and everything you thought was gonna happen in your life is not what you think. You are not the, how you say, you are not the author of your own life. This thing just happened to you outside of your control. And that makes you understand how very little control you have over your life. And that wakes a human up. For some of us, it's joy. Some of us have this weird, it's wonder, wonder or joy. You hear, you hear many mystics and certain scientists and poets talk about having this very interesting experience of sublime joy that made them totally uninterested on the you know frivolous things of this world for um, um, joy has the power to wake us up too it's all it's less often the case but it is and so for others it's conversations with friends mm. with older men and women people who we had we never thought in our lives we you know we would be speaking to because we often judge books by covers so we find that we don't like the person wearing the dark hoodie because he looks like a gangster but you don't know that he's a brilliant mind you don't like the old woman shuffling about the road because you know she's dirty and old we call her but you don't know that these people have something that they could say meaning transferring to meaning to you to change your life so I think that there are many ways where, you know, by which people wake up, because I think the world, and I believe in a God, so I would say that I believe that God is often trying to wake us up, but many of us do not listen, and many of us, how you say, have not come to a place where it is important to listen yet. 
Wow, uh, that was extremely eloquent and extremely beautiful, Kenny. Thank you. I mean, like honestly, <laughs> it was really that 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 I was just shaking my head. Yes, the whole the whole time, um, and I like the word that you used about clicked. And I, I think that my mind clicked maybe when I was, I want to say 17 or so, you know, I, I started exercising a lot more. And again, like I said, it's really hard to actually put my thumb on what exactly it is that happened. Yeah. But for some reason, I just was like, screw you people. I want to read some books. And I just kind of, you know, started reading more and, and yeah. sort of discovered area. Like, and like you said, I love the way you just described books is that, You've always had these thoughts, but you could never really act upon them or understand them until another much wiser, older author actually articulates them and, and puts them into yes. words. But you need you need a crisis almost in your moment to run to the library and be like, I need an answer. Like I've got like it's like it's like <laughs> it's like I have an itch. I don't know where this itch is. It's burning yeah. me. And and you run to the library, you look for, you know, typically it starts off maybe in the self-help or in the psych like for, I've talked to other people and they've said it it starts off in the self-help or in the psychology section. Yeah. And then you start off in that section. And then you go into philosophy and you start just branching off from there. But it's a, it's yeah. a, it's an inner urge to understand yourself or to understand Before tragic events that have happened to you. Yes. Now, this is where I'm going to kind of bring it all together here. Maybe in America, it's, we have like, things are just not clicking for us because of the constant level of food and sedation and the constant level of comfort. So maybe people here are just more comfortable. So they don't have like that, that clicking moment of like, Oh my God, I need to get this, this problem solved. And, and, and so forth. Whereas maybe people in, in more dire circumstances or in other countries, they really, they have just lost their father or their mother in a civil war or something. And now, and now they're starving and, and now they barely have enough food to eat. And that, that, that makes them run to the library for answers because all of this tragic kind of like intense things have happened to them. And now, now they have this burning hole inside of them that must be filled with knowledge because they, they need, they need a, a, a system to understand the tragedy that is their life because so many crazy things have happened. And maybe that's the punishment of maybe that like like maybe that's the punishment of wealth is that it, it shelters you from enlightenment and I, I think of even Siddhartha the Buddha it's like when he was living in his father's palace like yeah. there's no way he would have ever become enlightened because he had all of the material pleasures of life that he would ever wanted his father protected him um, from starvation his father protected him from illness from sickness from even looking at another poor person like he was not allowed to leave his his palace gates it's not until he had to confront these stark realities that he decided to start you know collecting wisdom but you know so I think that's the thing about America is that we're kind of in this superficial garden where it, it shelters us from some of like, you know, I, I mean, I, I think of this, it's like, we've all lost a loved one, but in some, like when I read books about the Holocaust or I read books, uh, books by uh, Solzhenitsyn living in the Soviet Union, you would just walk around and see dead bodies all over the place. Like you would just walk down the street. They, they would be like, there's a dead guy over there. There's a dead guy over there. There's a dead person there. Oh, there's a, a child that starved to death in that corner. And I think that seeing these things on a constant basis make people run for books and make them run for wisdom because it's so messed up that they need something to kind of fill that void. Whereas we don't see that here in America. And that kind of spiritually makes us very weak. 
It's my 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 brother. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, so <clears throat> you had, you mentioned before that the sedation. That what if we don't see because we you know we're we're sedated sedated by food and and comforts and all that. I would say that it's it's also possible that we do feel these things, but we just go by a different name now. And this is what I'm about to say is very troublesome. I'm not saying that anybody needs to take my advice. I'm not saying that anybody listen, needs to believe me. I'm just supposing. Well, this is just a supposal. What if we do feel these things? We feel the need to wake up, but we just call it a different thing now. And what you call something does matter. One of the one of the most interesting things the the Germans did to us Jews was call them something different. Call them not their own names, but something different, whether it was an animal, whether it was lesser human beings, whatever you want to call it. But you call, you call a people or a person something or something, something different, and it affects the way you see it, it affects the way you interact with it, even if it's not the thing you call it. So what if we call this desire, this hunger, this you know, waking up moments, we call it depression now, which is no longer something that you need to answer, but something you need to sedate. And which is a very, I know, troublesome thing, because I know that this is a serious thing for many people. And I know that this is a serious thing in this country. But I'm just saying, for a moment, what if? Because if this is, this is a big what if, because if this is in fact, the case, then many people are in trouble. But if it's not the case, then no harm, no foul. I think you actually touch um, upon something that is is very interesting. I, I think that depression is real, but I think the way that we the 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 antidote or the cure to depression is what's not real. So I think I think the I think I think I, I think it's real, but the way that we handle it is not real. And it goes as follows. And, and I think it goes down to uh, Viktor Frankl and man's search for meaning and so forth. Today, if you're depressed, we would say, okay, well, here's some pills or here's a routine for you to follow here. Here, don't you know, do your morning ritual and like, <laughs> yeah. make sure you have this one cup of coffee or did you, I'm sure you hear this one, Kenny, make sure you get lots of vitamin D. Oh, if you don't get your vitamin D, you're going to feel depressed. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I don't think that that's the proper antidote to depression. So I yes. think that people are feeling grim and they are feeling saddened with their life, but what they need is meaning and they need spiritual awakening. That's the antidote to depression is to find true meaning and purpose and a higher elevated sense of self and a higher elevated sense of understanding to combat depression. Doing routines, just doing like, I'm gonna wake up now, I'm gonna you know get my 45 minutes of vitamin D and the sun or whatever, I'm gonna take the, vi the, the correct vitamins. That's not gonna cure anything. It really is not going to cure anything. The only way that you are going to be cured from all of this is by going to the library, meditating and like finding some kind of spiritual outlet where you actually discover your, your higher purpose, your higher meaning and your higher understanding. And I think that in earlier times, people got that. They got it. That when they were feeling depressed, the, the, the answer was not just like, okay, you know, let me go shopping. Let me just take these pills. 
um, let me not be sedated. It was like, let me go out into the world and, and figure out where I belong and what, what, what task can I perform and what purpose do I serve? Yes, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, the reason I say that it depends on what we call it, because even when, if we, the depression is a, is a, is a push, push, pushing down. And often that's what it feels like. I have someone who says my heart is crying and that his, 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 heart is, his, his heart is crying. And that's, I, I think that, that even affects him differently because now it's not a thing that is happening to him. It's a thing that's happening within him that he can interact with in a way, you know? The, the point is this, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right in that the way we, the way that, the way that it's dealt with and you, and it gets weird because if, if there's somebody, you, there, there are a couple of people in, in today's world, you don't want to step on their toes, okay? You don't want to step on a scientist's toe today because they will kill you. They will finish you on social, you're dead. You're busy, you're basically finished. And you don't want to step on a psychologist. Bring him on. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to step on a psychologist's toe, because they 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 get pretty darn aggressive. Um, so I, I think that I think I'll just say this. I think you're right, and I think that you know, the, I mean it's it's got to it's got to it's got to show that years of pills and years of um isn't really is not really ideal to the human situation there has to be i would hope i would hope people are thinking along these lines there has to be something else this has to mean something else and i think meaning is a very important thing here's the thing we tell each other all the time we come from nowhere we go nowhere we have no meaning how can how can we live in a world that says this to us constantly and not be unhappy when our very hearts thirst for meaning. Yes, yes. You know, th th this, I, I think this is at kind of the crux of the situation. And I think that why we're becoming less intellectual, why we're, you know, unable to resist the social conditioning as much is because we have all of these pills and we have all of these various ways of social sedation. Yes. And you know, and, and, and like I said, you know, I even like, I know there's a whole controversy about weed or whatever, but it sedates you. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it, it does, it does relax you and it does sedate you. And I'm like, let, let's say you have someone who's taking, who's smoking this or whatever. Is that person really going to pick up Tolstoy? Is that person really going to pick up some dense novel and start reading it while they're as high as a kite? No, they are sedated, my friend. They are in a state of sedation why are they going to like challenge themselves and pick up some book and really wrestle with these things? So I think that these, <laughs> I, I, I think that these, these tools sedate us, but they still leave us depressed because we're not actually solving the problem. We're, we're, we're sedating the problem. We're not actually solving it. Yeah. I, I just had the thoughts. Uh, yeah, dude. One of my favorite things to do is just get high and read Anna Karenina, bro. It's just great. You're not reading that book. Like that person's not reading that You're book. Not reading. Man. They're using it as toilet paper or something. They're, they are they are not they are not picking up a book, man. They're 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 I'm not saying that it's like this harmful thing that's gonna make you do crazy stuff, but it's sedating you. It's making you oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's making you just lay on that couch and not get up and not confront reality. Yeah, it's it's a it's it is call it what you will but it is still a sedation it is still a sedation I, I, and yeah it's it's one of those things that everybody feels 
And uh, I, I, say, I think that everybody feels this at some point in their life. God knows I felt it. I know what it feels like. And so one of the things, and so how, we, how you deal with it really does matter. It really, it really does matter. So I, I'm, I'm having some thoughts here about how we can fix these problems. I, I'm actually, I'm actually thinking about this, right? Let me hear it. All right, all right. We gotta, we gotta make friends with the scientists, and we need to make friends with the psychologists. Us philosophers, we need to actually make friends with them, and get them on our side because we, we can't have a war against you know philosopher versus psychologist versus scientist. Like that, that war needs to end. We need to make friends with these people and explain to them like, hey, Mr. Psychologist, you like to help people, don't you? Yeah, I'd like to help people. Great, we like to help people as well. And, 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 and it's like, we need to have these like heart to heart conversations with the psychological community and yeah. be like, we're on, we're fighting on the same team. We're, we're on the same team here. And, you know, we've tried this, this sedation approach for the past 30, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's not working out that well. Okay. And, you know, there's big, there's obviously like big pharma and all these other kind of like agents, but I think yeah. psychologists like on the surface level are good people. And, and like, I think that they, they are maybe, maybe someone is tugging at their, at their arm and pulling them into sorts of weird directions. But I think that, I think at the end of the day, if you got into psychology, you want to help people. I, I genuinely believe that to be true. So I think we need to make friends with these mental health and, and let's just put therapists, social workers, psychologists, let's put all of these mental health people in, in the same bucket we as philosophers need to start reaching out to these people and start building coalitions and start building alliances of like, here's how you actually change people or here's how, and what happens is that the, the average person is not going to listen to me or you, Kenny, right? We don't have no, like, no, no, no. we no, don't no. have the name doctor in front of our name. We don't have like the credentials. We're, we're not in that, in that field of work. None but of I the think symbols. That, yeah. We're not the, we're not the correct symbols. Oh, I love that. We're not the right symbols for that. But what we need to do is we need to have more conversation with these symbols so that the symbols can then start employing the strategies that we're talking about right here and bring and teach people like, hey, man, whoa, 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 whoa. That's how you're spending your Thursday evening, Netflix and, and having, you know, three Budweiser's. Mm -mm. Like, here's how we get you some meaning in your life. And here's here's where we can find. And I think like Jordan Peterson does do this. We we there needs we need there needs to be a frontal assault on the mental health community where we're actively going in there and working with these people and, and teaching them that like, you have to, we have, like psychologists have to teach their patients, listen, man, if you wanna get better, I'm gonna assign you these three books that you really need to read. You're not getting better until these three books are read in their entirety and you can accurately summarize them to my satisfaction. Until until we are at that level, nobody is getting better. I don't care how many like Zoloft or whatever we're prescribing, we're not getting better until people are reading at least like three or four books that, that, that can actually help them understand this world. I want to agree with you. I want to say, Aaron, this is absolutely going to work. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I, I, don't, I don't think it is, and here's why. I think that people are generally, generally unkind. And like I said before, we often think that people are motivated by 
the thing itself. And that's usually, it's not, it, it's, there are some people who are like that. And those are the, the very phenomenal. I mean, I think they usually stand out in history. And then when they die, they build an institution for them and it all goes to shit. But I, I there are, we like to think that the scientists and the psychologists and all the philosophers and so forth are actually doing the thing for the sake of the thing, for the beauty and for the desire to help men and women and so forth. But often it's really about money and ego. We, many psychologists, many scientists, like many people, simply want their name as, they want their name as the first author of the paper. They want their name with the DR, they want their name in lights, they want to be the one in Oprah, they want to be the ones who have the book deals, they want to be the one getting the grants. And so people aren't really as, people aren't really as willing to share the lights, the credits, the ideas as you, as I would hope, as we would hope they would be. I met my wife when she was doing her PhD in clinical psychology. I got a chance to meet many other psychologists. Psychologists, at least the students that I met are just as unhappy as anybody else. They're always self-diagnosing for sure because they now they have the terminology, but they still don't know exactly how to repair their hearts, their innermost and their minds. And so you find that the psychologist puts on airs for you. He or she sits down in front of you, cracks a smile, listens calmly, writes down notes, gives you a prescription, goes home and beats his cat because he's just as unhappy as you are. And so, I think that's, and so even Jordan Peterson is a wonderful psychologist, but I think he's more of, a, more of a philosopher than he is a psychologist because he thinks about almost everything under the sun. The man is just a brilliant mind and the man, the man just loves what is true. And I, I think, so I think that, I think that people, people are generally unkind and people are generally selfish and self-motivated. Um, psychologists are in totally different world than philosophers and scientists i mean and, and our worlds really can't mix until there's humility and until there's respect scientists don't respect philosophers they barely respect psychologists <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one that's a real that's a real good one actually you know? um okay yeah, you're you're absolutely right I, I definitely hear you on this I, I i still think that there are some good psychologists but let's just assume under your model they're all just as depressed and just as um, vain as you just yeah. described. Let's let's go with the the absolute worst assumption here. What I'm going to do, Kenny, is I'm going to actually put on my Machiavelli hat, and I'll say this to you: What if we appeal to the psychologist's vanity? Okay, we appeal to their vanity and say, "Look, you know, you could be the next Jordan Peterson." You could be the next famous dude. You could be on Oprah if you start treating your patients in this way that actually works. So if, if let's just assume that all of these actors, the scientists and psychologists, you know, innately are selfish. Let's just assume that's true. What if we just appeal to their vanity and their selfishness and say, hey, look, this actually works. You know, look at Jordan Peterson. He treats people using mythology and 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 like all of these other unconventional ways. And look how happy he's made people, right? He's made all of these young men happy with all of these unconventional treatment options and ways of looking at the world. And he's written, he, you know, the guy is worth a few million dollars. He's, he's written a best-selling book. So I think we could start appealing to the community if they're not good-hearted, we could start appealing to their vanity and say, this actually works. You can actually get more clients. You can have more success stories, more positive testimonials 
if you start treating people in this way. What about that, Kenny? Well, that's fine. It's just the, the only problem with that is that if you appeal to his vanity today to do good, somebody else will appeal to his vanity tomorrow to do evil. He's just not going to be on your side. He's a man who can be bought or she's a woman who can be bought. And so if anybody can be bought, you don't want them on your team. You don't even want them anywhere near your team because they're the Judas. So I would say that what, we're, what we hope, and I'm not saying that, I believe that there are good people out there. I just think they're very few. I think there are wonderful scientists who are incredibly kind, very humble, and who are brilliant. I think the same thing for psychologists and philosophers, but I think it's very few. And they usually, they're not, they're not really making a lot of noise. Even Jordan Peterson doesn't make a lot of noise, you know? He's just there and he just seems to be, you know, he just gets involved and invited into different things and different situations and he speaks wonderfully and people just love him. He's, it's wonderful. I hear you about not wanting these people on our side, right? And you're right. People that have to be tricked and coaxed in this way are definitely, they're not playing on the same team as us. I agree with oh, you. Oh, no, no, not at all. But man, I, I, I thought, you know, it's funny, Kenny, I thought I was done being a Machiavellian like figure, but I, I guess, I guess now my dark side is starting to come out where it's like, all right, if, if to achieve, if the, if the, if the, if, if, if like the end result is good here, right? The end result here is psychologists helping people in a way that actually helps people. That's the end result. Yeah. Then my argument would be we as philosophers just constantly have to be smarter than than the other negative actors that are trying to trick the psychologist. So let's say the psychologist is like a neutral force and they'll listen. Let's say the psychologist will listen to whoever it is that has their best interest, right? At heart, right? And that yeah. could be the, you know, it could be the pharmaceutical company. It could be the philosopher. Us philosophers just have to be smarter and outfox all of these other evil agents to continuously make sure that the psychologists are doing our bidding so that they can actually help society. And you know, you're right. That's not, this is not a fun thing to do. And, and like these people are, are like, that's like a lot of hard work. It is a lot of hard work, but I guess, I guess in some ways, like sometimes you have to use, I don't even think what we're doing is that wrong. Like, I don't think we're doing like something that's completely immoral. No, no, it's, it's, it's shrewd. It's yeah, just, it's shrewd. It's, yeah, we we have to use shrewdness to constantly make sure that these psychologists are not going off the beaten path and getting distracted. Can I ask you a question? Yes, absolutely. Have you ever seen a Have you ever seen an animal in heat? Oh, uh, like a dog, like uh, one of these female dogs that's really horny or yeah. something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've seen a video. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, whoa! <laughs> so, here's the thing: is it, it? It's almost impossible to stop that dog from getting what he or she wants mm -hmm. i think human beings are kind of like that certain times when our greed appeals to us like a, like a guy who wants a girl or a girl who wants a guy it doesn't matter if he's he or she is totally not good or right for him or her it doesn't matter all the friends say no mother says no father says no reason says no wisdom says no <laughs> <laughs> Still, what do you do? You hop on that motorcycle and you drive off into the sunset, only, only to return home two months later, pregnant, and he's gone. Right. Yeah. I think that people are like that. We we are. It doesn't matter how much. Um, it doesn't matter how much manipulation or how much shrewdness or how much reason, you know, people will throw our way. 
when we want to do something that appeals to a passion, that appeals to a passion, we are almost like animals. So I think that unless the philosopher, unless the psychologist, unless the scientist is a man or a woman of goodness and reason, virtue and intelligence, it's nearly impossible to keep them on your side for long. They'll be there as long as the, 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 the check, you keep paying the check. You keep paying that check, they'll be there with you for sure. But once greed speaks and says, you know what? Hmm, you could be getting more. And that's all it takes. You make a really good point, Kenny. I, I must say, I must say, I think a, a, the next episode that we should do is, can we change people's passions? I think that's the next topic that we need to talk about. And then we can deal with this at an even more fundamental layer. Uh, Kenny, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Thank you. This concludes the 77th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azra.